Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I am your host, Mickey Mandiola. On top of everything spooky I love, from ghost stories to creatures of folklore, I also have a place in my dark side heart for true crime. If you manage to toss in an unsolved mystery as well, I'm sold. This is how this week's episode came about. I've always wanted to dive into murders and mysteries here on Mamas, and I feel like this story is a great place to start off. It's got all the workings of a fictional horror movie, a small town, a babysitter, and a 1950s environment. The only thing that sets it apart is that it actually happened. With that, let's get down to the business. This week's topic is the disappearance of Evelyn Hartley. In the small town of La Crosse, located along the Mississippi River in Wisconsin, a young girl's disappearance shook the town to its core. It's important to get some background on this otherwise typical teen of the 1950s. Evelyn Hartley was the daughter of Richard, a biology professor at the local state college, and Ethel Hartley, a homemaker. At the age of 15, Evelyn was a sophomore at La Crosse's Central High School. Everything in her seemingly normal life and in the lives of those around her changed on the night of October 24, 1953. Wearing a pair of red jeans, a white blouse, glasses, and a pair of white bobby socks, the teenage girl set out into the autumn evening. Evelyn had decided to take a babysitting job looking after the 20-month-old child of Viggo Rasmussen, another college professor. This was not an uncommon thing for Evelyn. She often took babysitting jobs and was sure to check in with her parents regularly while working. In fact, she had been scheduled to call them around 8.30 that night, but her parents were never contacted. Believing this to be out of character, Richard rang the Rasmussen home several times to no answer. Growing concerned, he decided to drive out to the residence to check on his daughter. While the radio and lights to the home were all on, Richard's knocks at the door remained unanswered. All of the doors to the home were locked upon her father's investigation, but something did catch his eye as being out of place. A window leading to the basement was open and missing a screen. Here, Richard entered the home. While combing through the house only to discover that its sole inhabitant was the baby sleeping upstairs in its room, he immediately called the police. Authorities arrived and searched the premises for signs of Evelyn. Managing to uncover one of her shoes and her glasses, now broken, where the girl went was still a mystery. Entering the home, the police found the match to Evelyn's shoe, as well as a spattering of blood. This then led to a perimeter search, where more blood in the yard was found, as well as a bloody handprint on a nearby garage. Tracking bloodhounds were also brought in to see if they could catch Evelyn's scent. They were successful. The trail led police out to the street and down two blocks until it went cold. 
Police theorized that Evelyn was put into a car and driven away. After the initial investigation, a massive search for the missing girl ensued. This included the National Guard, Air Force, Civic Air Patrol, as well as several volunteers on foot. High school and college students joined the effort, and after a few days, over 2,000 people were looking for Evelyn. Waterways were combed, police asked farmers to look for any freshly upturned earth on their property, and even newly dug graves were investigated to ensure Evelyn's body had not been secretly disposed. With all of this going on, police also issued a demand that all cars in the county were to be checked. 40,000 stickers reading, My car is okay, were printed and obtained only after a car's back seat and trunk were inspected and cleared. If a resident refused the search of their vehicle, their license number was recorded and they were to be questioned at a later date. Witnesses living around the Rasmussen home were also questioned. One neighbor claimed that they had seen a car repeatedly driving around the neighborhood, while another reported to have heard screams an hour earlier, thinking it to be children playing outside. On the day of Evelyn's disappearance, Ed Hoffer, a local resident, claimed that he almost hit a speeding Buick. The car he mentioned was driven by a man with another man in the back seat with a woman. At the time, Hoffer didn't think anything of it as there was a local sports game going on and he assumed the group was heading in that direction. With the investigation in full swing, Hartley's parents made public pleas for information on their daughter's whereabouts. Shortly after, Evelyn's parents were contacted twice by a man wanting $500 in exchange for information and the police swiftly set a trap to capture the caller. Once apprehended, it was proven that the man, 20-year-old Jack Driffin, knew nothing about Evelyn's case, and he was convicted and sentenced to prison for extortion. Eventually, neighbors and local businesses set up a fund to distribute reward money to anyone who came forward with tips. Clocking in at an incredibly large sum at the time of $6,600, more callers contacted the police station. Unfortunately, none of these new tips proved helpful after being investigated, forcing them to be dismissed. After a year of this ongoing search for the lost Hartley, Sheriff Robert Scullin estimated that authorities had questioned over 1,200 people. It really seemed that no one, anywhere, knew anything about what happened to Evelyn Hartley. A. M. Josephson, a La Crosse County criminal investigator, joined the case and pursued clues found during the search for a number of years. Two items in particular stood out to the investigator. The first was a pair of size 11 tennis shoes found near Highway 14, just 10 miles southeast of La Crosse. When investigating the Rasmussen home right after Evelyn disappeared, a piece of mud was found on the living room carpet that could have potentially matched the shoe. While searching outside the home, a set of footprints matching the specific tread of these shoes was also discovered. The second clue was a size 36 blood-stained denim jacket found approximately 800 feet from the shoes. 
Investigator Josephson believed that these two bits of information were connected. Delving deeper into this belief, Josephson managed to determine that the tennis shoes had a specific wear pattern similar to that of people known to operate Whizzer motorbikes. Jumping from this assumption, the investigator spent time going through sales records and contacting past and present owners of this particular bike. This effort proved to be fruitless. Eventually, the jacket and shoes were put on display in the area, hoping that if anyone recognized them, they would step forward. The items were soon forgotten, mostly due to the discrepancy between the large size of the shoes and the small size of the jacket. Investigator Josephson dismissed this point, believing that two people could have kidnapped Evelyn, but most still thought the items were unconnected. The case looked to be going nowhere when, in 1957, it got jolted back to life. Ed Gain, convicted murderer, was considered a suspect in Evelyn's disappearance as he had been staying with family in the area during that time. If you don't know much about this guy, definitely look him up if you're into true crime. It's nuts. When Gaines' property was searched, however, none of the girl's remains were found. He denied involvement in Hartley's disappearance and passed two lie detector tests, eventually leading this theory to be dismissed. Finally, by 1959, the case went cold. Evelyn's parents moved to Portland, Oregon by the 70s, and in 1978 were interviewed by the La Crosse Tribune regarding their feelings on the unsolved case. The couple admitted they had lost all hope in finding out what happened to their daughter and no longer wanted to read anything about it. Evelyn Hartley's disappearance remains unsolved to this day. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help out, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas. <laughs>